0: So we continue our series in Daniel. We're up to Daniel chapter 9. So after today, just a little bit more than three more chapters. But Daniel chapter 9, chapter 9, and uh, 1 through 17. And this is a prayer of confession. You notice that sometimes we pray for revival. This is important. We pray for revival in our nation. And notice that every genuine, every true revival is accompanied by a conviction of our sinfulness. And Daniel here, with the nation, with the church, they're convicted by their sinfulness. And that's that's one of the first works of the Holy Spirit, is to convict us of our sin and realize we are undone and we need salvation. And Daniel really brings that out in a, in a very powerful way in his prayer. Daniel 9, verses 1 through 17. 1 through 19, I should say. It's here the Word of God. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accompany 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity, we have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes." To our fathers and all the people of the land, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face. To our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy, forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against them, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such as never been as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all these disasters come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he, is do- which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O oh Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O oh Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are reproached to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes. See our desolations. The city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds but because of your great mercies, O Lord. Hear, O Lord. Forgive, O Lord. Listen, act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. So yeah, our focus is the whole prayer, because how do you just pick one little verse out of a prayer? It all comes together. So, you know, in the Bible, you see many examples of prayers Sometimes entire prayers are written out for us by God. And it's therefore for our instruction. It teaches us how to pray, doesn't it? They're good models. They're good patterns for us. They're encouragements to us. And this prayer, if you look at this prayer of Daniel chapter 9, it's full of the Bible. It might not quote Bible verses, but you know that Daniel knows the Scriptures. It just shows in his prayer Right? It's rich with the Old Testament, which he had. The scriptures. Moses, Jeremiah. And that's what he prays. He prays the scriptures back to God. You know, when you're immersed in the Word of God, what happens? The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to shape you. to shape your life. But also to shape our prayers. And Daniel knew god he knew god in a very rich way god was his you could say confidant you could say his friend and we see this all throughout daniel's prayer for today what i'd like to do is set out three goals for us one is sometimes we like to hide our sin and we do that between one another But you know, before this, God, you can be open, fully honest before Him at all times, honestly confessing your sin and your guilt. There's no one better, no one more trustworthy than God for this. That's number one. Number two, our, our second goal is that you may believe that He really, truly does forgive in Christ. That's according to his promises. And he wants to magnify his name, his grace in your life, even in the forgiveness that he gives you in Christ. And third, I trust that we may continue to grow in our prayer life so that we become more kingdom-centered in our prayers and less and less self-centered. Right? It's a those are some of the things that we need to grow and learn together. Okay, but uh, from Daniel 9, if we were to put it into one theme, one main statement, and it's this, God's Word, when we know God's Word, this inspires fervent prayer among His people who bear His name. Okay, this inspires fervent prayer. And we're going to see, first of all, in verses 1, 2, and 3, it inspires fervent prayer to our I'm going to say it this way, our covenant-keeping God. Remember what covenant is. A covenant is a relationship that God establishes with his people. Right? He gives promises and he gives responsibilities. He keeps his side all the time. So it's a prayer to a covenant-keeping, a promise-keeping God. For whom? For a broken, sinful, covenant-breaking people. So we see in verses 4 through 14. And therefore, we may plead, we might cling to the sure promises of God. We see that in verses 15 to 19. You see all those commands. The Lord, in a certain sense, Daniel uh, intensely laying out his petitions before the Lord in verses 15 through 19. So clinging to assured sure promises, trusting that the Lord will answer. But first of all, okay, God... His word, His promises, inspires fervent prayer. Okay, his word. And that prayer goes to our, the true and living God. He's a covenant-keeping God. Don't think of God as one that you can do bargains with. I scratch His back, He scratches mine. That's, that's other religions. That's other gods. But this is a God who establishes a relationship with His sinful people. And He gives out uh, the, uh, the goodness of His being, of uh, His grace, so we turn to our context, verses 1, 2, and 3. What is it that brought Daniel to his knees? What is it that made Daniel pray? What is it? It's God's promises. Not because Daniel's good. He is a sinner like the rest. But it's the promises of God that bring him to his knees. You think of the timing here. It's about 70 years after... Israel was taken captive into Babylon. Remember under Nebuchadnezzar? And one of the first people taken by Nebuchadnezzar with the first wave of people from Israel was Daniel. And that was in the year 605 BC. So 605 years before Christ. And you notice the timing here. If you look at verse 1, okay, so Jerusalem is still in ruins. The temple is no more. The people are still in captivity. But you look at verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Aegeus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So, this is, the Babylonian empire has now fallen. That was in 539. first year of Darius is about 538. So that's about 70 years. 70 years from the time that the captivity began. Okay, he was from the Persia. Remember, God is the one who brings down nations and raises them up. He brought down the Babylonians. And it says there, and Daniel was raised up. Raised up by whom? By God. And Darius, of course, was probably the king over that section under Cyrus. Cyrus was the main king whom God would use to send the people back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But anyway, they're still in in, uh, in exile at this point. And now the time has come to expect the end of captivity. Daniel knew the scriptures and therefore he was able to pray the scriptures back to God. You could say in a certain sense remind, not that God needs reminders, but he's so excited and with anticipation looking forward to God fulfilling his promises because God always keeps his promises. And so he prays. Or he, he, you see in verse 2, he says in the first year of uh, of in the first year of Daniel or Darius's reign, I Daniel understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So he goes back to the books. What do the books refer to? Refers to the scriptures. And he recalls what Jeremiah had spoken about 100 years before. What did Daniel, what did Jeremiah say? Well, if you go to Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12, Jeremiah said, And this whole land shall be a desolation, referring to the Israel and Jerusalem, and in an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It will come to pass when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. That now had happened. 70 years. And a little later in Jeremiah 29, we read, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, the Lord says, I will visit you, I will perform my good word to you, and cause you to return to this place. And now the word of God brings Daniel to his knees. You look at verse 3. I love that description, that, that phrase there. Daniel says, I set my face, toward the Lord God. Simply, you just see him on his knees, just face before the Lord God, and it's accompanied by prayer of supplication, but also with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. It shows his humility, deep mourning, his deep grief over his own sins and the sins of his people. Daniel includes himself. He knows all throughout, we, we, we. Daniel prays. Why does he pray? Not because he doubts God's promises, but because he believes God's promises. And that's what prayer does, right? Prayers, when we pray, we believe God's promises. And his promises are always an incentive for us to pray. We see it also for Daniel here. God also fulfills, of course, his promises through our prayers. That's true, too. You know, the church today, too, we live in times of distress, loss of freedoms. We're living in those days. In a certain sense, you could say the church lives in exile. And we also have promises. Think to Revelation 22, the promise of the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. In a certain sense, that's what Daniel's praying for. Coming back to Jerusalem. For the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. We can pray with anticipation and expectation, knowing the Lord will fulfill his promises. Daniel prays on the basis of his promises. He doesn't pray because he thinks that they deserve it. They deserve the exact opposite. He and his people, and that's why the fasting, the sackcloth, and the ashes—that all shows his deep humiliation. So, in truth, the people deserve the opposite, don't they? As we hear in verses four through fourteen. And if you look at those verses, verses four through fourteen, is filled with the words of Deuteronomy, the words of Moses, especially Deuteronomy twenty-eight. And in this prayer, God also reminds us that he's always faithful to his promises. He never lies. He's always trustworthy. And he will always bring blessing to those who trust and obey. But he will always bring curses on those who do not trust and and, and obey. Those who wander away from him right those who walk away in rebellion he withdraws his blessing he withdraws his favor so god is always faithful to his promises his covenant is kind of like a sword right he's faithful to both sides and daniel recognizes that and he recognizes that they're on that side his people and himself and he breaks down he break he prays fervently to a covenant keeping god for whom? For a covenant breaking people, a rebellious people. Verses 4 through 10, you see a confession of the guilt and sin. And 11 through 14, the reason why God punished them. Okay, but verses 4 through 10 is simply a confession of sin and guilt. How often do we make that a part of our prayer life? Confessing our sin and our guilt of course we need a standard by which we may do that right is the law of God right the word of God the ten commandments and you notice here Daniel doesn't blame the Babylonians oh they were mean they were ruthless terrible people but he doesn't blame in his prayer in any way the ruthless Babylonians for their misery in their life. This is very easy to do, isn't it? That we start blaming the others, start blaming the state for the condition that we're in. The Babylonians were ruthless, no doubt about it. God's people lost their fields, they lost their homes, they lost their temple, they lost their city, they lost their precious freedom. But still, Daniel doesn't blame them. Who does he blame? He just breaks down before the Lord. And he comes to conviction of his own sin. And the sin of all God's people who bear his name. They made God's name odious. They made God's name stink. That's what they did. And God was hurt by that. And he had to do something about that. And Daniel recognizes that, and so he just goes on his knees and he confesses his sins, his lawlessness, his crimes, the crimes of his people. Not in any ways that he try to make sin a little bit less, he doesn't minimize it, he doesn't gloss over it. That's what easily happens. It's sometimes hard to call sin a sin, but Daniel's very clear. He can hardly find words strong enough to denounce the shamefulness of himself and of his people before God. Look at, Hebrew, look at verses 4 and 5. And I prayed to God, to the Lord my God. I made confession and said, and notice all the words here we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly, we have rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. He doesn't give any to any specific examples, but the Bible gives us specific examples. We can just give a few. One of those things is they put everything else before God. That's one of the things they did. They worshipped idols. Their hearts were not after God, first of all, but other things. Another thing is, they used the Sabbath day for their own pleasure and profit. They were no longer keeping the Lord's day. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 17 and 18, that's one of the reasons why God punished the people. Because his day was no longer a special day. Wow. Some specific examples. Another example they were taking their babies and killing them. Right? My body, my choice. Think about that. But in this case, they were taking their babies and offering, you know, on the the altar of Moloch. And these are the things that Daniel is confessing. He doesn't get into specifics, but we've rebelled, we've departed. And Daniel confesses that we did not pay attention to the pastors, the ministers who brought the word of God to us. Look at verse 6 through 10. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. They spoke in your name. They were saying, ah, that's just his opinion. That's just his opinion. And if they spoke the word of the Lord, they went like this. No, no, no. That's what you think. But they spoke in his name to kings, to our princes, to our fathers, and all the people of the land. O oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and far off and all the countries by which we have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you, O Lord. To us belong shame of face. To our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord belong mercy and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. To walk in his laws which he set before his servants, the prophets. The prophets continually came with the word of God, showing the, the way of blessing through trust and obedience to the law of God. And they continually, you could say proverbially, smacking God in the face and say, we don't want this God. God sent his prophets to warn them, to say, come back. Calling them to repentance. But they didn't listen. And this is the reason, if you look at verses 11 through 14, for the exile. This is the reason for the loss of freedoms. This is the reason for the loss of worship in the temple. The Babylonians were used by God to chastise his people. Look at verses 11 through 14. Yes, all Israel transgressed your law, has departed so as not to obey your voice, Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us, because we have sinned against Him, and He has confirmed His words, which He spoke against us and against our judges, and judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster, for under the whole heaven, such as never been done, is what had been done to Jerusalem. What a, what a big confession. I mean, it's only the Holy Spirit that can bring us to see our own shame and the depth of our own sinfulness. Praise God for that. Because that's always the first work of healing, isn't it? (laughs) That's always the first step toward deliverance and salvation. Daniel realizes his people were not a light to the nations. There was nothing that they saw of God and God's name in their lives. And... God made them the capital of the world. He redeemed them from Egypt so they could be the light and that people who reflected His name and His character, the character that's revealed in His law, that they could show that. They failed. They failed. And so, God, being true to His word, He raised up the ruthless Babylonians to destroy whose city? His city. Not their city, God's city. To destroy his temple, his sanctuary, and to bring his people into exile. The word there is driven. He drove them into exile. It kind of reminds you, right, when God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of fellowship with him. Was God right in what he did? Was he just? Yeah. If you read Deuteronomy 28, they knew the word of God. They should have known. God said, "This is I set before you the path of life and the path of death. Look at verses 13 and 14. As is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our sin, from our iniquities, and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind, brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he has done, though we have not obeyed his voice. Today, you know, as churches, we're praying for God to heal our land, right? 2 Corinthians 7, 14. But is it not possible that God is still calling his people, his church, To humble themselves. To repent. And to turn. From their wicked ways. I speak now here. Broadly of the church in North America. Think about it. Is it not trampling. God's law. Under its feet. Think about it. Are we not killing our babies. In the name of. My body, my choice. How many churches use the Sabbath for their own pleasure and profit? Wow. Perhaps, perhaps God's name is looking more and more odious. Maybe starting to stink in the sight of the nations, in sight of the neighbors. The church today accepts and tolerates what God never tolerated. That's called sin. Shh, don't say that word. That's not very nice. We're afraid to call sin a sin. And yet, that's the very means that God uses, Conviction to lead us to deliverance, to the joy of our salvation. But oh, that even in the churches, you see how we have exchanged the fame of God's name for respectability. We want to be respected by society, don't we? But we don't want to look too different. We don't want to hold up God's law because people will ridicule us and say, what age do you belong to? By our sins, are we not inviting God to act in our nation? But you know, it's never too late for the church. It's never too late for the church. Speaking of the church broadly now, confession of sin and guilt, that's the way the Holy Spirit uses to bring forgiveness, true forgiveness, true healing, And that leads us to the final part of Daniel's prayer. Daniel knows this. He's breaking apart, but he knows he has one source to go to, and that's God's eternal promises. The promises of God. He clings, he pleads to those promises of mercy and forgiveness. Look at verses 15 to 19. Before we go there, notice does Daniel pray, O Lord, give, give us back our fields and our houses? Give us back our temple and our city and our precious freedom. No, he doesn't pray for that. He prays, O Lord, forgive. Simple. That's it. O Lord, forgive. We don't hear him cry out, have mercy on us, O Lord, in the misery of our exile. No, he prays, O Lord, have mercy upon us in our guilt. In our guilt. The misery is so much greater than all the hardships of life, whether that be war or famine, sickness, disease, all put together. Listen to Daniel's plea in verses 15 to 16. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins. And for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people are reproached to all those around us. And then he just pleads. It's almost like little commands. Staccato. He doesn't know exactly what to say. But eight, there's eight verbs here. (laughs) Eight verbs. He says, oh my God, incline your ear. And hear. Open your eyes. See our desolation. We can pray that for our lives too, right? See the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications to you because of our righteous deeds, but because of our, your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. O Lord, do not delay. And what's his motive? Not for their sake, but for his sake. For your own sake, my God, for your city and your people called by your name. Does God answer? Oh, yes, he does. He hears the prayer. Those who confess, those who see themselves for what they are. He answers. He's the God, remember, who raises from the dead and brings life. God will answer. He always answers. He did answer. And ultimately he answered in whom? In sending his son. In sending his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One greater than Daniel. Daniel, there's no way Daniel could pay for the sins of his people. Not even his own sins. But he could pray this prayer. Why? Because of God's promise and his only beloved son, the one whom he, in his love, gave to the world. God did so by sending his son to the cross, who was crucified on the cross, the perfect, innocent son of God, taking upon himself the curse that was upon us, the punishment that was upon us. And he bore that. All himself on the cross. Is there any greater love? We can openly, we can honestly confess before him. He took the curse. He took the punishment for sin and guilt. And the only ground for your forgiveness is getting on our knees before the cross. The only ground for our forgiveness is Christ. There is no forgiveness outside of Christ. There is no forgiveness outside of Christ. God says, this is my way of forgiveness. This is my way of life. The righteousness of God that we need is the righteousness that He gives through Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, he who believes in the Son is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Are you burdened? I'm not talking about trials. Certainly we're burdened by trials and hardships in life. Are you burdened by your sin? Are you burdened by guilt and shame? There's a way out it's Christ. You come to Him you can unburden everything doesn't matter who or what we've done you can burn it all before him give it over to him because in him god hears absolutely he forgives he listens he acts and yeah we not only have one that's greater than daniel as a sacrifice but we have one who's greater than daniel because he's our intercessor He intercedes even in a greater way than Daniel ever could. Jesus always pleads for you on the basis of his finished sacrifice. The Bible says if anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have a lawyer with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He forgives. Yeah, and you know, there's more to the salvation. He also brings a new life of new obedience. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit who convicts also gives us, applies the resurrection of Christ in our life and enables us to walk in a life of new obedience. Did Jesus raise the temple? Did God raise the temple in Jerusalem? He certainly did. In His resurrection He raised a new temple. And who's that temple? That's you. That's, we're all part of that temple. Hope Congregation is that temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit was poured upon the church in Jerusalem that day and God raised a temple, a city, a capital. The church is the capital in the world. Not Ottawa, not New Delhi, not, the, not Amsterdam, but the church. The church is the capital in the world. And you know, God has placed, placed his name on you in your baptism. You wear the name of God. in Christ, not only that, he gives a new life of new obedience. By his spirit, there's that resolute desire to obey. One person put it this way, with everything going on in the world, I know the biggest problem in the world is still me, my sins. And for that reason, my biggest hope My biggest joy in the world is that I'm forgiven by God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Raised to a new life. By grace, Hope Congregation, for example, is God's sanctuary. It's God's city. The people who bear and reflect his name. It's the new capital As part of the new capital of the world. You could say it's a capital in this neighborhood. God delivered you to make a name for himself in this world. What does that mean? Put God before all else. It means honor his day. Don't use it for your own pleasure and profit. That's the new obedience he raised you to and me. It means honor your father and mother. Teaching our children to obey. It means be faithful in your marriage vows. If we're not, as Peter says, our prayers are hindered. It means work hard. It means pay your tithe. It means pay your HST. That's all part of Reflecting and bearing the name of God in a new obedience. It means, tell the truth. Don't lie to one another. Don't deceive one another. It means, be content. Because you have the greatest gift in all the world. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. In these ways, God wants us to reflect his glory, his name. Remember the rock in Daniel's vision? Not made by man's hands. Came down the mountain and shattered the idols of the nations and the nations themselves. And that rock grew and grew until it filled the whole earth. May that be the fervency in our prayers. May your kingdom come, Lord. Destroy the works of the devil. And then, yes, our prayers will even become more kingdom-centered. Because we're thinking about God, his name. His kingdom, His will, His glory. To God be the glory. Amen.